in Hebrews 10, if you guys would turn there, as Randy had just read, I didn't get very set up this morning, and there's my phone, so uh, that was good. I brought it up here, I don't want to bring my phone up here, but I brought it up here to let you guys know the app is not working for whatever reason, and so the, the company that hosts the map did an update like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, somewhere in there, and it like shut down our app. For whatever reason, you can open it up and it's got some of the things there, but nothing that we use. And so like connection card or a prayer request or something like that. So if you need that, we will, we will help you get anything you need. Um, and we're trying to figure out why the app company isn't, I don't know what happened. Anyhow, we've been in this book of Hebrews in this series called King of Righteousness, King of Peace. We've been really focusing in on who Jesus is. And we made that distinction as we opened up this series to say that not just talking about what Jesus has done, but actually looking at who Jesus is and how that relates. We've been working through this book written to, obviously, an early Christian church, primarily Jewish people, hence the name Hebrews. And so it was written to Hebrew Christians. And so this book has been walking through many of the Old Testament things, some of the uh, temple sacrifices, the tabernacle, the great high priest, been walking through all these pieces of the Old Testament. If you were a Jewish Christian, this would make a lot of sense. And then 2,000 years later, as we're reading it, we kind of have to reset ourselves back into the mindset of what it would have been to hear this as a Jewish Christian. And so as we've, as we've worked our way through this, we've really pressed into that role of great high priest, that Jesus came and fulfilled that role, that he not only fulfilled it as mediator between God and humanity, but he also fulfilled it as the sacrifice that the great high priest would make. And so all along, we've been weaving this through how Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant and how that impacts the church, including all of us today. And so I wanted to use an example this morning that we can all understand. And so if, you've ever, if you're a student now, if you're in like a middle school, high school, elementary school, or obviously the, the one thing we all have in common is we've all been a student at one point, right? And so there are lots of things that guide or rules, if you will, that we put around students. And we, we do that for a reason. One of them, really simple, is do not cheat. Like you're not allowed to cheat on a test, right? That we, we frown on that, right? Yeah, you guys are really sleepy. I know, I'm tired. So there's a lot of rules around kids. Show up on time. Don't cheat on tests. Do your homework. And really, if I was to ask you, is it about the rules? What's it about? Yeah. Okay. Learning, maybe? Right? Yes, character. Absolutely. Yes, where their heart is. When we add... Something we tell a student, hey, listen, I want you to show up at this time. After this long, you're late. When the bell rings, you're late. I want you to do your homework. I want you to study. I want you to take your own test, not somebody else's test. What we're doing is we're trying to create uh, an adult human being out of kids, right? Out of children, out of youth. And what we're doing is we're saying, and what we, we do is we, we tell them, listen, if you cheat on something, and you guys know the phrase, right? You're only cheating yourself. And we've probably heard that a thousand times. It's uh, been said by parents throughout history, right? But as we get there, we're saying, listen, if you cheat on this test, then you don't really know the information, then you're really not growing and becoming who we hope you will be, right? And there, I was just talking this week in the office that uh, to a family that's had some exchange students from, uh, from different countries, and they don't have the same values necessarily. 
And so in some countries or some students they've had, cheating is widely acceptable. And so they'll cheat on a test to pass a test with the goal of getting into the best school. Well, the question was asked this week, what happens if you get into Harvard, but you cheated to get there? Like, how, how well are you going to do once you get there? And, and yeah, maybe not, not very. And then you, so are you going to continue to cheat? And then you get out on the other side of this, and maybe you have a Harvard Law or Harvard Business or something education and degree, but now are you prepared for that field? So when we look back at the things that we teach, our kindergartners, our elementary school kids, our middle school kids, our high school kids, college students, whatever, when we, when we look back at the things that we teach them, for the most part, it has nothing to do with a rule. What we want to do is instill a value. See, Christianity is the same thing. Sometimes people see this as a lot of rules. Hey, do this, don't do that. Right? And, and then all of a sudden they find themselves on like a scale, like if I did enough of the right things and not too many of the wrong things, like I seem to be okay. I think what we would learn today from this Old Testament, New Testament kind of contrast is that it's never been about the rules. That it's always been God creating the values that he's trying to create in us. And so I want to use that as the context this morning as we open up Hebrews 10. So let's pray and we will get to work in scripture. Jesus, we love you. We gather this morning for you. It's not for me, it's not for the band, it's, it's not for uh, anything other than you. Yes, we love to worship and song. Yes, we love to open up your word. Yes, we love to fellowship with one another. But really, Jesus, this is about you. From our elementary school kids and pre-K that are learning, and they're learning in their age-specific room, to all of us sitting in here, as, as we open up our Bibles, Jesus, what we ask is, would you speak to us? Jesus, your words give us life. And may I fade somewhere to the background, as my words do nothing. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you are alive. That yes, you died. And yes, you resurrected and you ascended. You've poured out your spirit on us and you are alive. And we worship a living Jesus. So Jesus, would you speak to us? We're here, we're waiting. Soften our hearts. Let us be challenged. Let us be grown. Let us come in one way. And that as we leave, may we leave somehow nearer to you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll give you kind of a starting point for today. Uh, for those of you note takers, again, our notes are normally in the app. What I'm gonna do is I've actually emailed my notes uh, to one of our staff members, and I've asked them to just post it on Realm, our communication system. We'll get it out there. I apologize about the app, but um, here's kind of our starting point for today. The promises of our faith. Jesus takes us beyond religious rules and order. In Christ, the promises of our faith are about us being transformed inwardly, remaking us into who we were designed to be. Right? Again, the metaphor of a student, our children, growing up and becoming the people that God has created them to be, or becoming the people that we as parents may want them to be, instilling those values, all right? Hebrews 10, verse 1, says this, For since the law was but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And so here's, again, this Old Testament setting, this Jewish 
temple or tabernacle setting. And so if you haven't been here for this series, what he's pointing back to is the Jewish, uh, the, the Jewish religious practices of law and sacrifice. And so God had spoken, gave the Ten Commandments, uh, had given some other written words, the words through prophets and leaders. And so God had given, here is the, the way that you're called to live. Here's the way that I designed you to be. And, and we just really, we kind of shorthand that here and just say, just this is what it looks like to worship God. And so worship God doesn't, have, doesn't mean like singing worship, but this is lives that glorify God. This is what it looks like to do that. In fact, this is our design. This is, this is how God created us to live. And anything outside of that, uh, you know, it might be called sin or transgression or any of those things, but anything out of that design is just living in a way we were never designed to live. So that means when we do that, we're doing things that we weren't designed to do, and so it makes us people we weren't designed to be, and we find that impact in our lives is negative. And so what he's talking about now is when they had the law, they would disobey, they would go in, they would offer sacrifices. So they would literally slaughter a ram, a bull, a goat, or something, whatever was their family could afford. And they would go in and they would make sacrifice, and, and the, the death was to remind them that living in ways contrary to how we are designed results in death. Death in our life, death metaphorically, if you will, physical death, the, the, just death. To remind us that, that blood had to be spilled to cover over our sin. There was washing rituals and, and these other things just to remind us that, that living other than God has designed us to be, it, it just covers us in this thing that needs to be removed. And so as he's writing to this Hebrew church, this Jewish church in the first century, he's saying, listen, that never fixed anything. The sacrifices didn't fix anything. In fact, the sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus. And he says, and, and the, the idea that every time this happened or every so often you had to go in and make these sacrifices in the temple or in the tabernacle, it was repetitive. And you had to do it over and over again because it never satisfied or it never covered over your sin. It always pointed forward to Jesus. It never took away sin in and of itself. And what it, what, what it became was that it was repetitive. It was monotonous. It was over and over and over again. Now we see this in the church today, oftentimes when our, when our gospel is really about forgiveness and repentance only. Right, so we see people come into church and then they, they come to faith and they're like, okay, I'm gonna turn from the way I've been doing things and I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live for Jesus and then all of us fall short. Yes. We don't measure up to where we know Jesus would have us. And so we, we then feel like shameful or, or guilty or distant from God. And then when that, when that separation is just too much, we, we come back and we say like, okay, God, I'm so sorry. I, I come back to you. I wanna repent, I wanna change. And then this cycle becomes habitual like a hamster in a wheel. Just kind of running and running and running and never getting anywhere. And just getting tired, going nowhere. And that was the Old Testament sacrifices. But it's also our tendency today in the church. is to never move beyond this repentance, forgiveness place. And I'm not saying that we're going to never sin again. In fact, we'll all fall short. I, mine will, I'm sure, be soon, you know. But understanding that our faith is greater than forgiveness or our faith isn't about something in the future after we die and where we spend eternity, that it's just more than that. That the gospel is more than that. 
And so he's saying, listen, this was so monotonous. This was so repetitive. So starting over in verse 1, it says this, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, pointing forward to Jesus, to come instead into the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. So there's, there's a few key things he's saying that really sets up this passage. He says that this old system, doing it over and over and over again, sin sacrifice and death, repentance, going out and sinning, and just this, again, this hamster wheel, this frustrating repetition of sin and repentance and shame and sin and repentance, just all this. He says, that could never make you perfect. And so we're like, okay, clearly the goal of the gospel is to make us perfect. Now, it's not gonna happen overnight. It's not gonna happen while we still live in this body. But the goal is to move you towards that. And so perfect, if we, just, if we defined perfect as being Christ-like, then we would say, now this system was never able to make us like Jesus. And so it was repetitive, it was monotonous, it was filled with blood and death and the sacrifices of bulls and goats. And so we've got to understand that the law that they lived by, even if you just take the Ten Commandments, the law was set there so we know what it looks like to be a worshiper of God. The penalties were set there because just like every rule or everything that we have for students or for schools or for work or for traffic or whatever we're doing, if you violate that, there's a penalty. And that's to motivate you to do or to live inside the values, right? And so this was the sacrificial system, but all it was was pointing forward to a different reality, to a truer reality, this one pointed forward to Jesus. And now what the author of Hebrews is saying is now we live in a new reality. We live in something that will perfect you or probably better said for us, we have something now in the gospel, in Christ, that is able to transform us and make us look more and more like Jesus. And so we need to move on from what we've been in and aim towards this. Verse five, consequently, when Christ came into the world, so we talk about now when Jesus came in, he being Jesus said, here's a quote, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. O God, as it is written of me, in the scroll of the book. So here's what's taking place here. If, you, if this passage sounds really familiar to us, it's because it's Psalm 40. And so Jesus, well, he was in his uh, three-year vocational ministry, if you will, when he was out and he was speaking and teaching and healing people, and it was before he had gone to the cross, he had quoted these words as if it were his prayer, him speaking to God. And that, we just call that a messianic psalm. When the psalm was written, it was written about the Messiah to come. And so this Messiah to come, Jesus, which we have a name for, they were anticipating, says this, that it was, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me. Now I just want to, I just want to look at the difference between what Jesus is saying here 
and then how we often look at things. So Jesus is quoting Psalm 40. Really what he's saying is, I am the fulfillment of Psalm 40 and all the messianic psalms. And as he cries this out, he is proclaiming what he is doing. So verse 8, it says, when he said above, now this is the author of Hebrews kind of interpreting for it, for us. He says, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. He's, so the author of Hebrews, writing to the church, quotes Jesus, who is quoting a psalm. You follow that? And he's saying, now, when he said that, here's what he means. He's saying, God, you never delighted in the death of animals or sacrifices. This was caused by sin. Our sin, you and I, and everybody before us, collectively have done things we know are wrong. There's nobody sitting here going, I've never done anything wrong, right? If you are, you should be up here and I should be down there. Because we all blow it. And because of that, there's a penalty. Whether we like to believe it or not, there is a penalty. There are things that take place because we live in a sinful and broken world. And so he's saying, Jesus, saying, God, you never delighted in death. You never delighted in sacrifice. You never wanted us to be anything other than who you created to, us to be. Verse 9 says, then he, meaning Jesus, added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. So here's what our author is telling us. He says, when I have come to do your will. This is now Jesus proclaiming to God, I have come to do your will. Now I just want to ask you, how different is that than us obeying rules? that question make sense? When Jesus says, I've, just, I've come to do your will, how different is that than I showed up today hoping I can keep the rules? See, there's an entirely different emphasis. When it's about rules, we're kind of measuring ourselves between what we don't do and what we do, what things God has said are not good and what things God has said are good. And Jesus eliminates all that and, I, and I, he doesn't he doesn't remove it, he fulfills it. But he doesn't fulfill it by focusing on the rules. He says, listen, I've come to do your will. Here's what he's saying, I'm so in love with you. I'm so committed to you, God, that whatever it is you want, that's what I want. Whatever you're calling me to, that's what I'm doing. I always use the example even of like my wife. I don't, I don't not do wrong things as a husband, cheat on my wife or, you know, do wrong things, whatever that might be. I don't do that because there's rules in place. Because I said something 20 years ago in a vow. I do that because I love my wife. And the more I love my wife, the nicer I speak to her, the nicer I act, the, ni the more I care, the more I guard our marriage, and, and the more I do that, the more I love Lisa, the better man I am to her. And the same is true. The more I love God, the better Christian or follower of Jesus I am. Because it's about me wanting what God wants. It's about me heading in the same direction. It's not that I'm like, okay, but there's all these rules. Those rules really what we have is like some guardrails on the outside. And when we're worried about the guardrails, we're always running into them, we're crashing over them. But when we're just in line with God, 
It's just so much easier. And that's what Jesus is saying. I, and the author is saying he did away with the old covenant. He wasn't worried about the rules. He just kept them because he was aiming at God. He was doing what God had called him to do. And sometimes we just have to break that mindset of I got to do this and I can't do this. And we just, if we just head towards Jesus, we're good. That doesn't mean we're not going to fall short. Only Jesus never fell short. So once for all, excuse me, let's, uh, verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He says, and by that, we will, will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now let's give some definition to sanctified. Sanctified, again, like, like the word perfect was used earlier, sanctified is that same kind of idea. Holy is another one. And really what they mean is like Jesus. So to be sanctified or, or being in, uh, in the process of sanctification is being this process where we are being remade into the image of Jesus. And so he says, by this sacrifice, by what Jesus has done for us, through that, we will become sanctified. We will have been sanctified. And there's a promise here, and it's written, it's written in that tense of that perfect tense. In other words, it's already accomplished on our behalf. We will have been sanctified, and then it says, once for all. So if you're a note taker, once for all is a phrase the author of Hebrews uses multiple times, making the point that we are not in some temporary or unfinished process, but rather we are complete in Christ. Now remember, we've got to, we've got to balance that with, the, with kind of the now and the not yet, if you will, right? There's, there's the reality of where we are now, and there's then also the reality of what Jesus has accomplished for us, and we're just not really living that yet. But all the work, all that is necessary, all that we need has already been accomplished in Jesus. And so no matter where we are today, no matter how far from God we might be today, everything we need to be, to look like Jesus, to live like, to love like Jesus to be in the presence of God, all that is necessary, no matter how far away we are, has been completed. It's been completed once for all. Once for all of us, once for all time, once for all. It's been done. There's a period at the end of the sentence. It's complete. And so this is what the author, as he's been building these nine chapters up, using this old covenant, this old Jewish setting, and teaching them now how Jesus fulfilled all of that, he kind of comes to his, his crescendo here, if you will, and saying, now listen, he did this so that you could be complete, so that you could be sanctified, you could be perfect in Christ once for all. And he's contrasting that with this Old Testament law and sacrifice, where every year they had to come in and slaughtered bulls and goats and go through these religious rituals that were only a foreshadowing of Jesus to come, but they had to continue to do it and continue to do it until Jesus came. He's saying, now you don't have to do that anymore. Everything you need is satisfied once for all. Verse 11, it says this, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies could be made a footstool for his feet. Here's what's saying. 
the author is saying, listen, this, this has been made complete, this has been done, and the proof is that Jesus ascended back into heaven. So you've kind of got to walk back through the gospel. If you've been around for any amount of time, we talk about these hinges of the gospel, these, these facets of the gospel that without, you know, if you're missing any one of them, your gospel is really incomplete. And it's this, it, it's that Jesus became flesh, that God became flesh, the incarnation. Jesus became human, right? The very thing, now I know that Halloween's this week, Thanksgiving, the very thing we're already seeing in the stores is this celebration of God entering into human history in human flesh. Jesus became flesh. That's the first thing. And then Jesus lived this sinless life. He lived the perfect life of worship to God. He lived the life that you and I are called to live, but that you and I have failed to live. And so he does that. He lives the life of a perfect worshiper. And then he is betrayed and he is, he is executed on a cross. Instead of us who deserve death, he took death upon himself for us. He paid our sacrifice or our penalty, if you will. And now we're into this setting, this Jewish temple. They would understand this. Like they understand that you had to have this perfect spotless lamb as a sacrifice. That there were rules. You had to give of your best. And you had to give of a young one-year-old male lamb. Just all this. And they're like, okay. They understand this need for a spotless sacrifice. For an unblemished sacrifice. And so they're saying is Jesus is the only one who could fulfill that. So Jesus is executed and dies. And then Jesus resurrects from the grave. And so Jesus coming back to life, Jesus proclaiming before he died that he would come back to life was this prophetic announcement of I will show you that I am who I say I am. By when I die, I will come back in three days. And then as Jesus is raised from the dead, as Jesus raises himself from the dead, it puts that stamp of authority like this is truly God. And so Jesus spends weeks with his disciples proving that it's him, that he is alive, and teaching them a little bit more before, and this is the fifth thing, he ascends back to heaven. And as Jesus visibly ascends in front of many of the the original beginning followers of Jesus, the early church, if you will, as he ascends back to heaven, the author of Hebrews is saying, that's how you know this is complete. Because Jesus, who entered into human history, lived the life we're called to live, died the death we deserve, but he died it in our place, was laid in a grave, rose from the dead, and now knowing it's complete, ascended back to heaven. In other words, we know the job is done, says the author of Hebrews, because Jesus ascended back to his throne where he belongs. The other piece of the gospel is that we eagerly await that day where, where we enter into his presence forever that we're in his presence now, that he's here with us now, that we pray, we worship him, we do all this, but we're waiting for that day where his kingdom is, us, is with us. But the author is saying, listen, this is how you know the job's done because he went back to his throne. This is how you know the work that you need is complete. So Western Christianity. Today, Christianity often finds itself in a similar place as Hebrews is describing with lots of painful repetition around sin rather than finding fulfillment and new life in Christ. If we constantly find ourselves in a rut, then the promises coming up that are next are what we need to hear. So built on all these things, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, built on all these things, there are some promises that the author of Hebrews is writing to the church 
And if you find yourself in that place, that constant repetitive rut, if you will, of sin and shame and repentance and then sin and shame, if you find yourself there, then these next three things are the things you need to hear today that I need to hear today. And so the author of Hebrews says this. So it's verse 14. It says, For by a single offering, he, meaning Jesus, has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So notice, he has perfected, that's that perfect tense, that job is completed, those who are being, notice that's an ongoing thing, those who are being perfected. So promises of our faith, the first one. No matter what we struggle with, the promise of God is that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to completely overcome and redeem it. No sin is too great, no problem is too large for the gospel. So what he's saying here is, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So all of us, no matter where we are, no matter what our pain comes from, no matter what we've done, no matter what others have done to us, no matter where we are, what our struggle is, or what the problem is, Jesus' death is enough for all of us. That it is enough to redeem what is ever broken inside of us. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. So let's go back to our example about a student, right? We have a student, whether they're our children, you're a teacher, whatever, or I'm the student or whatever this is. And the rule is don't cheat. The idea is, hey, don't cheat on your homework, don't cheat on your test, and really it's not about the rules, it's about the value of I want you to be educated, and if you do this, you're really shorting yourself the education that you need for the rest of your life. And, as was said earlier, like there's a character issue. Like inside, we need to learn how to do things the right way as we mature. As we grow up and become adults and start lives outside of our family's home, we need the character to do so. And so not only do we not want to short ourselves in education, we also need that character. Well, the, the same thing applies to Christianity. There, is, there are rules, there are guidelines that say, listen, within this, within this is how you live to glorify God. When you live outside of that, what you find is pain and misery and death. And so he says, so, so live pointed towards Jesus. And then Jesus says, listen, I, he even proclaimed, I came to do God's will. So I always say, if, if, we, if we are just following Jesus, we will be getting closer and closer to what God has designed for us. If you know, this is, uh, I'm not, I don't, not going to put it up, but you guys, man, I use this verse probably too much, but Ezekiel 36, 26, right? That I, it's my favorite verse in all of the Bible. This is God saying, listen, I will take from you a heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will wash you or cleanse you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my commands, right? I'll take from you a hard heart, heart hardened by sin, and I will remove that heart from you, and I will give you a heart of flesh, one that can beat for God. I'll, I'll give you a new heart, and I will wash you of all the things that have, that have separated you and I, God speaking, obviously, to us. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes. I will cause you to obey my commands, what I love so much about that is it's not, here's all the rules, now try your best. Now just white knuckle it between here and whenever you die. It's, listen, I will cleanse you, I will heal you, I will fix you, I will cause you to walk in the direction that I'm calling you to. Verse 15 says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to, uh, to us 
For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on, my, on their minds. He's saying, listen, you coming to me is something brand new. It's not about the rules or penalties. It's about me writing my laws on your heart and your minds. So next slide. The gospel proclaims that we are being transformed inwardly to desire the things of God rather than just being told to obey God with our best efforts. We are being truly changed by the power of the Spirit. We are being truly changed by the application of the gospel to us by the Holy Spirit, that our lives internally are being transformed into who God has called us to be. And that is fundamentally the opposite of, here's all the rules, try your best to obey. This is, I'm going to cause you to want what I want. I'm going to cause you to want the things that are the best for you. I'm going to take care of that, God says. And, and to show you that we have the power to do that, I've, Jesus lived and died and rose again to accomplish all that you need. So he says, this inward transformation, verse 17. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. He's removing us from that repetitive cycle of sin and sacrifice and living in that place of never moving beyond it. We quoted this just a couple weeks ago, but uh, should be Psalm, there we go, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he, meaning God, remove our transgressions from us. Like your sin is covered, your sin is removed. And that's not an excuse or an okay to go out and do anything you want to do. It's just saying that in Christ, when you, meet, when you come to Jesus, when you allow your life to be led by Jesus, your sin is removed from you completely. And that you are no longer defined by your sin. Verse 19, it says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, these are all very Old Testament tabernacle, temple symbols, and we've covered them in prior messages. I'm not going to go back through them. But what, he, what I want you to hear is the words confidence and assurance. He says, I want you to have this confidence. I want you to have this assurance. I want you to know for sure everything you need is accomplished. Verse 23. So let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. Here's the third promise. The promises of the gospel are secured by God's faithfulness, not by our own obedience. God is faithful. We rest in knowing that God keeps all his promises. Let's just contrast that with what many in the church today tend towards believing. That our salvation is kept by our obedience. Now, what would you rather have, it on you or on God? Right? That my salvation is secure because God is good. That my salvation is secure because God is faithful, because God is true, not because of anything I do. Again, we're not making excuses. We're not saying, so you can go do whatever you want. We're saying that the promises are on God. 
that I'm just not capable of keeping them, but God is. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You hear that? Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? This should be a community of faith, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near, as you see that day where Jesus returns drawing near. So the emphasis here is positive. The emphasis here is not don't do something. It's remember to gather together and encourage one another and stir one another up in love and in good deeds. Like that, that you should be together, whether that's community groups or youth groups or families meeting at home, that this should be the thing. You should gather together to stir one another up in a positive direction, not in a sin micromanaging Place. Now, that's not saying, parents, obviously, you have to raise your children and teach them right from wrong. But as a church, we shouldn't be policing everything everybody is doing. Instead, we should be driving towards encouraging people towards Jesus. I've got a, a few just application notes for you guys to take with you this week. Three important promises through the gospel. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. The gospel transforms us inwardly. And God's faithfulness is trustworthy. So I'd ask you this question, what in your life right now needs these promises? Take these home with you, your family, your youth group, your community group, and press into where you need them in your life. Where is it that you need to know that once for all, Jesus satisfied any need you may have? Where is it that you need to know that you're, you're not defined by the things that you've done or the things that have been done to you? Where is it that you need to know that this is, this, that the, the power resides in God's faithfulness, not your ability to obey? Where do we move from rules to values, from rules and penalties when you violate them to values that we understand we're driving towards something? How do we gather together and stir one another on to love and to good deeds? Next slide. The gospel isn't about rules or obedience, but rather it is about transforming us into the image of Christ, giving us the maturity and values that align with how we are created to live. That our faith too often becomes a system of do's and don'ts. And most of us functionally call that a religion, right? That there is a set of standards, a set of rules, there's these do's and don'ts. And when I'm, I'm not saying that those aren't true. What I'm saying is when those become the focus, we're missing the point that this is personal, this is relational, this is corporate, but this is God creating in us or recreating and redeeming in us to be the people that, that he created us to be. And that we do that because of what Jesus has done, that we can achieve that because of what Jesus has done and what Jesus has done for us. And we do that secure in the knowledge that the power resides in God, not us. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. There is none like you, as we often sing. Jesus, we all get caught up in making rules. We all get caught up in that place where, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this for God. Or, I, I shouldn't be doing this because I'm a follower of Jesus. And God, those things aren't wrong, but when the, when the focus becomes the rules, we'll never move into that power and peace that you have for us. We'll never know, we'll never know the freedom in you until we focus 
on the power that you have given us to, be, to overcome the things in our life, to overcome the brokenness inside of us, to overcome the pain and the hurt, to overcome the pride or the arrogance and the idolatry. As long as we're mired in that, God, we'll never live the way you created us to live. But you have done all that is necessary and you are faithful. We can depend on you. We can trust you. Because God, you are good. And you are God and you are the creator of everything. You are the God with no beginning and no end. And somehow, some way, you found a way to love me, love us. You loved us so much that you sent Jesus into our lives. May we learn that following him leads to you, leads to freedom, and gives us this sense of maturing in our faith as we grow. This is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.